Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined today by Josh Clark. Hello, Candace. Hello, Josh. So, Candace, I was walking down the sidewalk the other day going to get some lunch, as I do from time to time, and I noticed lying in the gutter were a pair of those plastic uh, vampire fangs. And I thought, oh boy, I'm halfway to my Halloween costume, right? All I need is a cape, and there you go. So I put the fangs in my mouth, and I'm walking along to go get lunch, and um, I started thinking about this, uh, this story I'd heard once um, about this guy named Max Shrek. He actually played uh, Dracula uh, in the first vampire movie ever called Nosferatu. It was uh, released in 1922. It was a silent movie. Very creepy. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Is this the one that they sort of like redid a version mm-hmm. of with John Malkovich? Shadow of the Vampire. That's Look it. at you go. All right. Well, I just, I love John Malkovich. Uh, so. so do I. So do I. I'd love to be John Malkovich. Um, actually, no, I wouldn't. No. I think that I, I learned my lesson from that cautionary tale. But <laughs> so have you seen Shadow? of the vampire then yes okay all right good wow um so in that movie they basically uh portray max shrek um as an actual vampire who uh eventually kills off all the cast and crew uh, by by basically eating them uh during filming um and there's actually a rumor that, that Mr. Shrek was a vampire. He had a really weird appearance and he, he had really strange habits. Um, so I started to do a little research and it turns out that's not the case. Um, he was not, in fact, a vampire. He was actually a very well-respected German stage actor. Um, and after Nosferatu, he became very, very famous and went on to star in like 20 more films. So I'm thinking he wasn't actually a vampire. That's, that's what I got. But, I do understand that there actually was a real Count Dracula that Bram Stoker modeled his character on, um, that there was a man who actually lived. Is that is that fact or fiction? Was there a real Count Dracula? There really, really was. Who? Who? Yeah. Uh, it was this man named Vlad Tepish, and he was a 15th century prince from Wallachia. Okay, I've heard of this guy, yeah. yeah. Vlad the Impaler, right? Vlad the Impaler, gotcha, okay. yeah. And, well, that wasn't the name he preferred. No. Impaler was, you know, sort of like, I don't know, calling someone a gossip. Maybe it's true about that person's <laughs> character, but you wouldn't say it to that person's oh, face. And it's his, true. his subjects didn't. They didn't touch that. Um, there was plenty of propaganda spread about him at the time that called him the Impaler. But he actually preferred the name uh, Vlad Dracula, mm-hmm. which translated to Son of the Dragon. So that name, really, that Bram Stoker didn't make that name up? Nope. Pulled oh, okay. it straight from the record to the British Museum. Dracula meant Son of the Dragon. His father was Vlad Dracula, and he chose the dragon, you know, to embody his character as a very sort of like fearsome and bow down before me leader. And ironically enough, he really wasn't like that. He was pretty subservient to the Turks. And Vlad grew up uh, essentially being told he also would be subservient to the Turks. Yeah, didn't his father send him as like a gift to uh, the Sultan? He did, and Vlad started, you know, plotting his revenge, and he was a defender of Christianity, and so he decided he was going to overthrow the Turks, and overthrow them he did. He was pretty intense about his mission. He consolidated power in his hometown as part of his mission to bring a more unified front to Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. and it was pretty crazy the way he did this. He invited all of the regional nobility to dinner, and he got them in his dining room, and then essentially he was like, 
and change of plans. Instead yeah. of eating dinner, you know, we're going to go rehabilitate this old dilapidated castle. So he had them march 50 miles away and he put them to work restoring this castle. Not in like a fun Ty Pennington way, but like in a really scary work until you die. And if you right. don't die doing this, I'm going to impale you later. And didn't he, didn't he kill off the infirm and the elderly first and then, you know, put the stout ones to work? And, and they worked for a while doing this, right? They did. They did. And finally they got the castle in working order and then, you know, his next step was his kingdom and he didn't want any poor people bringing his his kingdom down so he murdered all the poor yeah he, he, tens of thousands if not arguably a hundred thousand people died thanks to vlad right yeah and then he decided that he was going to you know counteract the turkish forces that might be closing in on him so he took his people who were really sick mm-hmm. dressed them up as turks send them to go live with the turkish forces and that was one of the first forms of biological warfare on yeah. record because they spread their diseases yeah and it worked like a charm as far indeed as indeed it did but he uh, he did hate the turks he was actually raised um, for many years, he spent his formative years basically under Turkish control as a prisoner uh, when his father sent him as a gift to the sultan. Um, so he learned to hate the Turks, but he also learned something other, something very significant from the Turks, and that was impaling, which is where he got Vlad Tepish, the impaler. He loved to impale people. And this is not one of my favorite parts of the story, but I know it is one of yours. So my hopefully, y'all, will you dazzle everyone with your definition of impalement? Yeah. So basically. With when you when you think about being impaled, you know that sounds bad enough, right? Um, I did some research on this, and there's actually a very strict procedure for impaling a human being. Uh, and Vlad had this thing down pat. Well, let's hear it. Okay, so you take some money, um, you take a poor victim, uh, and you tied one one foot to a horse, uh, the other foot to another horse, and very slowly the horses would start to separate. So the guy's now up on his hands with his legs spread behind him with no recourse for shutting his legs whatsoever. Vlad uh, preferred uh, spears that were rounded at the tip and oiled because he didn't want to tear any internal organs on the way in. Um, There's really no polite way to put this. Basically, while with the legs spread, uh, the the uh, the staff was introduced into the victim's anus and slowly pushed all the way through until it literally came out his or her mouth. Okay, that was just the beginning. After that, after they were fully impaled, they would be lifted up into a vertical position, uh, planted into the ground, and left to die, where they would spend. Sometimes days. Some some of these people actually died of starvation. They were fully aware of what was going on. And um, it was probably the worst way to die ever imagined by man. So if any of you are still listening after that, <laughs> um, as though that weren't bad enough, there were records that supposedly say that Vlad Tepish, a.k.a. Vlad Dra- uh, Dracula, liked to take his meals outside among the dying impaled victims. And you, I imagine that there was a lot of groaning and screaming, and it probably wasn't a very pleasant sound. No, but he was a very sick man. Yeah, he was. Oh, there was also, um, it, well, I think this is probably where the Dracula legend came from. Uh, he supposedly once invited some Turks uh, to meet with him, and when they got there, um, he had some prisoners that he'd already captured that were Turks, uh, and he killed one of them in front of the Turks and, and drank uh, the blood of this victim, which caused the Turks to turn around and, and leave uh, very quickly. Um, 
which I, I imagine that's probably where the vampire legend yeah, came from. Yeah, that sort you? of sort of worked like a charm. And we had mentioned earlier there was a lot of propaganda spread about Vlad Dracula, and conveniently enough, this sort of coincided with the invention of Gutenberg's printing press. Mm-hmm. So it had more recently been used to print copies of the Bible, and next people turned to printing just volumes and volumes and volumes of documents against the horrors of Vlad Dracula. Yeah, I think historically suggest that we would not even probably be aware of Vlad Tepish uh, had had this propaganda against him not been printed so voluminously and uh, we pro- he probably would have been even further forgotten had Bram Stoker not basically accidentally ran across these these pamphlets and these books uh, in the British Museum so he uh, his enemies basically um, uh, contributed to his everlasting legend. Exactly. There you go. And even today, apparently there's this new video game coming out, and I'm, I'm not much of a gamer myself. I'm more likely to sit down with a latte and, and a copy of Vogue. But apparently, you can play this thing called uh, The Path of the Dragon, and it takes you through the ruins of Vlad Tepish's castle. Cool. And they call the village, I think, Vladivist or something like that. And, and we know for a fact he didn't live in Transylvania. He lived in Wallachia. Mm-hmm. But um, you could sort of go on a, a virtual tour of the castle. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Very yeah. Cool. Just Thank watch you. your step. You don't want to get impaled. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, you can don't. read even more about Vlad Tepish in... Who is the real Count Dracula? Who is the real Count Dracula? And for other delightful stories of people who supposedly drank their victim's blood, you can also read about Elizabeth Bathory and was a Hungarian countess, the world's most prolific serial killer, both on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. 